This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And on this Friday program, we'll give you some of what happened on Thursday night at the baseball stadium. Bulls jumped on top of the number 15 team in the country, but then ended up seeing what happens to most of the teams that play East Carolina, which is the Pirates put together a nice little mid-game rally and end up winning 8-3. to Close in that final score makes it sound, but hey, we've been telling you that a lot, unfortunately, this year with the baseball team. We'll also go around the conference at the end of the hour and tell you exactly the importance, there's plenty of it, of these next two days' games. As far as the number one seed regular season championship, East Carolina is back in control of it thanks to what happened elsewhere. We'll do that here shortly. We're going to start off with some great news from track and field, also basketball and a little football on-campus stadium update. Well, if you want all of the financial details, they are available. Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times went pretty extensive with it yesterday on tampabay.com as far as the details of financing the on-campus stadium, which is projected to begin in 2026. The total cost, $340 million dollars. This comes from the virtual meeting of the Board of Trustees Finance Committee on Tuesday. Documentation shows exactly how it'll get paid for. Well, at least the plan for how it'll all get paid for. $50 million in fundraising from the USF Foundation. Bottom line is $340 million stadium, which is pretty much in line with one of the more impressive newer stadiums. That is the San Diego State one, which, by the way, has gotten that city an MLS team in 2025. <laughs> that just came down, but of that projected cost 200 million would be basically from a loan to be financed over 20 years and hopefully to be boosted by not just fundraising donations but also actual revenue generated by the stadium some interesting other notes that matt baker was able to pull out that included how the projected attendance to be able to help take care of the cost would be around 31,000 projected for 35,000 seat stadium also recommending 10,000 student tickets. I like that detail. Nearly 2,000 premium seats. That would include 1,200 club-level seats, 40 boxes, and 24 luxury suites. So yeah, I'd definitely say head up tampabay.com and do a search for that article if you want more details. Under the headline, USF Football On-Campus Stadium finally has a budget and debt plan. Now on to the anticipated news from Thursday. We knew that plenty of members of the USF track and field team would be selected based on their times and their jumps, etc., for the NCAA tournament, as it were. Here's how it happens in the NCAA when it comes to track and field. Basically, after all of the conference meets are done, you get picked not just on how you did there, but on your best performances from the year. And if you're one of the best 48 when it comes to the individual events or 24 when it comes to the relay events, in your half of the country, you get sent to your preliminary meet, and that's a big deal. And for the USF Bulls, 24 student-athletes are headed to the NCAA East prelims, a huge total. As head coach Eric Jenkins says, you have to earn the right to compete in this championship, and it will be a tough meet to advance. But having a group this large competing in the NCAA is another step forward in our program's growth. UNF is hosting the meet. It begins next Wednesday. It goes across four full days. And again, with so many individuals and relay units, the realistic chances of advancing kind of depend on where you're seated because the 
other half of the country is in the West event in Sacramento, and the finals are at the University of Texas in Austin. And to get there, you basically have to have one of the top 24 times or distances or heights. And it's not just straight 12 from this meet, 12 from the other. It's based on who wins and who, of course, has the better results. Now, if you look at it, the Bulls actually have a great chance of advancing several to that finals meet. You know Romaine Beckridge's name's going to be on there. He is the third seed, as it were, for the East prelim, but he is the national indoor champ, so the chances of him advancing to the finals once again are pretty high. And really, a couple Bulls in the top 10, very impressive at the East prelim by their times, or in the case of Nia Robinson by her long jump. She is actually the fourth ranked individual. And you look at the schools at the NCAA East prelim, all the SEC, all the ACC, a lot of SEC. And to have a bull in the fourth spot is pretty impressive. And Sonique Walker, who won dramatically the 400 hurdles at the conference meet, her time is fifth in the East prelim. So those are your probably best chances of still having their season going on past next weekend. Robinson, Walker, and of course Romaine Beckford in the high jump. But let's give you all the names because just to get this far, as Coach said, is pretty impressive. Both the men and the women's relay squads are still going. The one with the highest seed is the 4x4. Shania Benjamin, Zariah Adlers Labird, Denisha Anderson, and Janiah Burton. For the 4x1 team, it's Burton, Jadeja Baxter, Taryn Peterson, and Benjamin. For the men, 4x1, Danelson Mahatier, Shavoy Reed, Jaleel Crow, and Zaquan Lincoln. On the 4x4, it's Dante O'Banion-Reed, Michael Bourne III, and Elijah Wright. And a lot of those names we just mentioned on the relay teams are also competing in individual races for the women. Burton and Anderson both qualified in the 400 meters, while Shania Benjamin, the kid from Alonzo High School, is in the 200 meters. Also, Shani Davila just squeezed in with the 46 spot out of 48. That's good enough, though, to gain the experience. She'll be in the 100 hurdles. And as far as the long jump goes, we mentioned Robinson, fourth. Benjamin also gets to compete in that one. And in the high jump, Anaya Ashley. For the men, yeah, we talked about Romaine Beckford. We mentioned Bourne, Michael Bourne III, is in both hurdles events. The longer of the two races, the 400-meter hurdles, he's actually seated 19th. Elijah Wright is in the 400-meter event. Shavoy Reed, seated 25th in the 200 meters. All these individuals get to take part in the NCAA East prelims, finally. Both of the Bulls stand out. Paul Walters on the men's side, Kobe Babin, and Stone Baker made it with Babin seated 13th. Again, that action starts next Wednesday. I have a feeling I'll be able to interview several members of those teams before they head up to Jacksonville. Definitely got to get some basketball interviews lined up because of so many new members of the staff for Amir Abdul-Rahim. We'll get to the latest four names, but also the names continue to get revealed when it comes to new members of the women's basketball roster. Within the last couple of days, as the women's basketball various social media accounts, on Wednesday we learned Lore Mputu, who is originally from the Democratic Republic of Congo, she played at Eastern Florida State College the last two years. She's 6'2", and last season was actually their leading scorer on an Eastern Florida State College team that made it all the way to the national semifinals. They had never gone that far. They were 33-1 and before losing by one point in the semifinals, and she was their leading scorer. Now, they had four players average between 10 and her 12.5 points per game, so they were balanced, but she also averaged 6.5 rebounds per game. 
So it sounds like a rebounding force for the Bulls added. And someone who could shoot the ball, a 5'11 guard from Spain, Judith Valero. Judith, like Judith, without an H. I have a feeling I need to schedule a chat with Jose Fernandez sometime next week to get the full scoop on all of these new members of the Bulls. And I might have a little inside scoop on one of the names to come. And let's just say that's the hint. The name alone is going to give the Bulls kind of a unique situation on their roster. Oh, speaking of rosters, and it is no sure thing anymore to make a WNBA roster. That's one of the, well, it's not just this week where it's been brought to attention, but one of the downfalls of the WNBA, they just don't have enough teams. They haven't expanded in more than a decade. And you have some former Number one overall picks like former Texas standout Charlie Carlier getting cut this week. So to make a final roster of 12 is no small thing. And Dulcie Fank and Mangiato, great tweets from the USF Women's Basketball account. She couldn't stay away from green and gold. That is the color of the Seattle Storm. She makes their roster after a solid stint in the preseason. Unfortunately, Elna Chinecki did not make the final cut, and you look at that Washington Mystics roster, and you can understand it was tough to get on. So hopefully she gets on with somebody else, if not in the States, overseas. We'll let you know where she lands. But Dulcie is on the Seattle Storm. Four more members of Amir Abdul-Rahim's men's basketball support staff have been announced, and these are some pretty big roles to be filled. DBO, Director of Basketball Operations, will be Trent Patterson. He was the director of basketball ops at Troy the last few years. And part of the connection there is one of the Bulls' new assistant coaches, Ben Fletcher, was an assistant at Troy while Patterson was there. He worked his way up from being a student manager at Troy. Griffin McCone was the director of operations at Kennesaw State under Abdurrahim, and now he will be the director of player development for the Bulls. McCone was a graduate manager on the Texas A&M staff and as you can read on GoUSFBulls.com, comes from a long line of basketball coaches. His grandfather spent more than 40 years as a collegiate and pro basketball coach, including being the San Antonio Spurs head coach back in the early 80s. How about that? Riley Crean, the son of Tom Crean, who worked last year with the Dallas Mavericks, who was drafted by the Chicago White Sox in 2017. So an interesting story. Can't wait to talk to him. Is going to be the Bulls, a director of video and scouting and strength and conditioning. That's no small role. That'll be Cody Dukwitz. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce the name. I'll get it confirmed. It's D-U-K, quits, the word quits. I'm going to guess that his student athletes don't quit in the weight room. Last five years, he was the assistant director of sports performance at Stephen F. Austin. So there's your new members of the staff. Again, we're giving you a little bit of their background here, but we definitely want to catch up to many of these for you here on Bulls Beaten. With the play-by-play schedule coming to an end pretty soon, we'll be able to give you more interviews on Bulls Beat over the summer. As I mentioned, the play-by-play schedule is winding down. Baseball is the last team going, and right now they are going to be the seventh seed for the conference tournament, but could finish in last place. We'll get more into the situation there, but East Carolina is in first place. That's because the Pirates came back to beat the Bulls 8-3. to Bulls could not solve. Not the starting pitcher for East Carolina. They got to Zach Root immediately, the freshman from Fort Myers, who is a lefty and truly not a game one starter sort, although he has been in their starting rotation. I don't see him getting the ball first in a regional or super regional, for example. But the Pirates went with him, and the Bulls quickly took the lead. And boy, he drills that ball deep to left field, going back on it to the track end. Watching it sail out of here is Jenkins Cower. Drew Brutcher, opposite field power. And the Bulls take the lead. Drew's 11th home run of the season. Points over to his dugout. 
saying, I got that. He did all right. His 32nd career home run, by the way, and the Bulls were not done. They were aggressively swinging early. Rafael Betancourt and John Montez both singled on the next pitches that they saw. Montez was kind of a bloop hit and run sort of thing. And then after getting to second on a wild pitch, Joaquin Monquet smacked a ball to right field that made the score three to nothing. The Bulls did strand a couple, and they would actually strand eight runners in the first five innings. That's when they needed to tack on, and they just could not do so. Meanwhile, Siebert was great in the first three innings, only allowed one base runner, but the Pirates got it going. They tied it up in the top of the fourth, and it could have gone another way. Who knows if the Bulls had kept the score down. The Pirates don't take the lead eventually anyway, but it was close as here's what happened. Carter Cunningham singled to start things off, and then he actually advanced from first to second on a flyout to center field, and it was just adept base running, and he comes home, therefore, on the next hit by Justin Wilcoxon. So it's 3-1. to one. Eventually, two out, runners on the corners, and you'll hear just how close the Bulls came to getting a strikeout to end the inning, and everything's fine at 3-1, to one. and instead, well, what happened happened. 3-2, and 2-1. Two, two and just taken low, and he's yelling at the dugout. Like they just advanced to the College World Series. A lot of pride being taken in getting a borderline call called your way. But it does load up the bases for Joey Marini. Two and two. Chopped up the middle. They had him shifted. Could this be a fielder's choice? No, it goes up the middle, and that'll tie the score. As Marini just put solid enough contact on the ball to squeak it through for a two-run single. And it's three to three. That ball did not have much behind it, but just enough to get to the infield. Honestly, if Montez is able to get to it, he is not going to prevent one run from scoring, but would have prevented it from being a tie game. We go back and look at the pitch that Makarovich took. He was so proud of himself that he saw it right, and I'm telling you, he could have easily been punched out. Was it low? Maybe by a couple of centimeters, but that was the call, and instead of 3-1, to one, it is 3-3. Three to three. And then quickly, and I mean quickly, the Bulls go down in order in the bottom of the fourth, and we can't skip over that because it was Danny Beal. He's a guy who recently had a five-inning, one-hit, shutout, nine-strikeout save. So he had never gone that long in a game before until was certainly a candidate to go deep out of the bullpen. He came on again in the second inning. He is their second-best bullpen arm by numbers. And nothing cheap about the top of the fifth, back-to-back doubles, Moylan, who we talked about, his prowess, gives them the lead. It also ended the night for Siebert. Hunter Mink would come on and kept the Bulls in the game. The Bulls actually had a two-out rally, started by Joaquin Monquet and Jackson Mayo, but Nelson Rivera struck out swinging on a nasty sidearm slider from Beal, and the Bulls, again, stranded two. So first five innings, they stranded eight. They would only strand one more the rest of the game while, of course, not scoring. It was Mink getting around a one-out double in the sixth. Then he got through the seventh pretty quickly. That's the inning where, you know, it's 4-3, to three and you're thinking, okay, this is where East Carolina is going to start to put it away because that's what they do. They didn't. And then this is a key play to me. You have obvious points in the game, like in the bottom of the third when the Bulls had two on, and they're up 3 to nothing and had runners in scoring position for Travis Sankovic, and he strikes out on a fastball, and it could have been 5 nothing. But then this is a situation where, again, starting off the seventh, it's four to three, very much in range. Drew Brutcher will start off against Danny Beal indeed, and what a play over there at second base by Starling. He'll get the out. Man, they had him shifted, and that would have gotten through against a normal alignment. Still, it had 
not make it an easy play by any means. And indeed, the second baseman makes it. That was a key play because, again, Danny Bill's starting to tire out as he's going a career length in innings. And then instead of a leadoff single and the Bulls just down one or in business, it ends up being just a six-pitch inning for Beal. And then you just heard a big defensive play on their end. Bulls couldn't make one in the top of the eighth as the Pirates blew it open. Riley Johnson, infield chopper, steals second, gets moved over on a ground out, and then a sack fly. RBI makes it 5-3. to three. Another single, and it looked like the Pirates were in store for a big inning. Instead, it should have been inning over 5-3. to three. Here's what happened instead. 5-3 to three East Carolina. Two outs in the top of the eighth. Mink hoping to keep it that way. Golf to Snow should be able to. Oh, he boots the ball. Now Montez has to hurry up and try and make a play at home. They could have an out there. No, they won't. That's an E6. And an absolute gift. That was a sure, sure out. No RBI, obviously, for Hoover. And, of course, they line the next pitch with Cunningham into the right field corner, and that's going to be a two-run double, if not a triple. And it's a two-run double. Ball game, eight to three. Three runs, they will all be unearned. We said the Bulls had to get the out if they were going to keep this game close, and folks, Hunter Mink did the job. He did his job. Against a team that rarely hurts itself, if you hurt yourself, well, it's gonna hurt. <laughs> and the final score ends up being eight to three. Speaking of hurting, Danny Bill was in the bottom of the eighth inning. The Bulls ended his night with a couple of bids, and I called it here. And Brodell whacks it. Could it get into the gap? Nope. Johnson and Hoover come together, and Johnson makes that catch. So speed in the outfield, two well-hit balls by the Bulls. And I think Beal's day has got to be done. Got to be done. He had some big reactions after getting out of earlier innings. <laughs> He's like, "Thanks, Coach, but I'm done, buddy." He was, but he was the reason they won among many. He was the big reason. Six and a third innings out of the pen. The Bulls got four and a third out of Jack Siebert and three and two thirds out of Hunter Mink. Eight total from those two gentlemen. That's probably an inning more than Billy Mole had planned. Now it truly is going to be kind of a bullpen couple of days, and that is going to make it interesting and tough for the Bulls, frankly, because East Carolina has two better starters in store. They were able to save their other bigger relief arms as well. So it is going to be a difficult task for USF. We'll go with Nolan Hootie today, and Ethan Boogie Brown will get the start on Saturday. Today's game has been moved up to 5 o'clock. Make a note of that due to expected weather later on in the area. The Bulls lose. They are now 19-35 and 35 on the season. They stay, believe it or not, out of the cellar because Tulane got waxed by Memphis. We'll give you the details at the end of the hour with Around the American. But East Carolina turned into big Cincinnati fans. They needed to win more games this weekend than Houston wins. And so far they have because Cincinnati topped Houston. Again, details on the conference show. So the Pirates are back in first place. They still have an outside chance. It's not crazy outside chance. I think if they win the conference, not just regular season, but conference tournament, they probably will get to host a regional for the fifth straight year although they have definitely fallen off the bubble because of some recent losses. They still have plenty of wins. I'm talking about the regional hosting bubble, not the NCAA tournament bubble, and they will be looking for win number 40 either today or tomorrow. By the way, Danny Beal has a whip well below one now and is 6-1 and one on the season. So again, this was not some 
unsung hero, not expected to pitch well out of the pen, but to pitch so early and to go so extended was a big deal. East Carolina did have 12 hits. The Bulls did keep them in the yard after they had 11 homers in their last four games. Monkey and Bozer both with two hits for the Bulls. Jackson Mayo, in addition to a base hit and making a deep bid for an extra base hit in the eighth inning, also walked twice. So Mayo for Cantu. So far, there hasn't been that much of a drop-off, and that's one of the positives for the team. Also, Ben Rosenblum, I want to say, came on to catch in the top of the ninth when it looked like the Pirates were going to start off the same way they did the eighth when they got their four runs. Same leadoff hitter, got on base and tried to steal second, but Rosenblum cut him down. So little things like that sometimes at the beginning of innings can prevent one from developing, and the Bulls will have to be on their toes when it comes to everything like that today and tomorrow. That wraps up Bulls Beat for a Friday. Talk to you guys from the park later on. I'm Derek Sharp. We're all about the University of South Florida, but we also want to keep you informed on the Bulls Conference opponents. That's why three times a week we go around the American. With today's show, here's Derek Sharp. So we'll kind of pick up where we left off. The win for East Carolina turned them from being happy about winning to being scoreboard watchers on the Cincinnati and Houston game last night. Again, those teams entered the week with the same amount of wins. Houston had played one less game, so they were a half game up on the Pirates and frankly deserved to have the tiebreaker because, well, they won a series against them to start off conference play. And so all they had to do, Houston, was keep pace by taking down Cincinnati, and they couldn't do it. At home, no less, they had come back from down 3 nothing to tie the score. And remember when Cincinnati swept the Bulls in Tampa? It seemed like any time the Bulls had anything going, Cincinnati had an answer. Well, they had a big old answer with six runs in the top of the six, capped by a grand slam by Ryan Nicholson. He is their stud hitter, and opposite field grand slam was the big one in this game. Houston did put together four runs. Seemed like they were maybe going to scrap together an amazing comeback, but not enough. 12-7 to was the final score. So despite getting swept by Wichita State and losing two of three to Houston, those are the other two teams in the top three of the standings. East Carolina has surpassed both of those teams. Why? Simple, because of what they did against everybody else. Namely, in their other five conference series, they won all five, sweeping four of them. Right now, East Carolina basically has to hold serve, either win two against the Bulls, doesn't matter what Houston does, or if they drop a game, have Houston not finish off Cincinnati. Needless to say, we'll be letting you know what's going on throughout the course of our broadcast tonight and on Saturday. You know, there was a chance if Houston had won last night and the Bulls had won that you would have things pretty much set, and who knows if anybody be throwing their true arms in the Saturday game, but East Carolina is going to be throwing everybody Assuming tonight the Pirates don't clinch it, which they would if they win and Houston gets defeated again, it's going to go down to the last day as far as the number one seed. Now, Wichita State and UCF are officially playing for third place. Shockers just need to win one game in Orlando. They only got one out into the game yesterday before the torrential rains over there called things off. So they're to begin a doubleheader this morning. And again, by the time we hit the air, they'll probably be in the middle of the second game. We'll update it for you. Wichita State cannot get into the top two. They had an outside chance of catching East Carolina. That would have involved the Shockers sweeping UCF and the Bulls turning in a sweep. So Wichita State right now will be the three seed unless they get swept by UCF. That's what the Knights are going to be gunning for. 
To be specific, East Carolina 16 and 6 in the conference, Houston 15 and 6. Wichita's 12 and 8 technically can still catch Houston, but Houston has the head-to-head. UCF is 10 and 11, but again can catch Wichita State only with the sweep. Cincinnati is 10 and 12, so right now UCF and Cincinnati are buckled in to the 4-5 game. Memphis, though, can actually jump into that mix if it continues to do well against Tulane. And oh yeah, here's where the Bulls come into the equation. Thank you, Memphis. The Tigers rolled Tulane last night, keeping the Bulls in 7th place. USF can only be 7th or 8th. Technically, Tulane, if it beats Memphis the last two, would catch them. But if the Bulls are interested in not finishing in last, and that's where it gets really interesting because how do you manage to not finish in last and avoid playing East Carolina next week? Because if you're not in last place, you probably have to beat the Pirates, and that would knock them to the 2 seed potentially. So, yeah, there's still a lot going on. But we know that last night Memphis absolutely put it to Tulane, which dropped to 14-38. and 38. Remember, the Tigers are still two games above 500 overall. They win 14-2 in run rule fashion, no less. They jumped up with a five-run second and a four-run third. They were ahead 11-2 and got it to run rule status with three more in the six. Austin Baskin, decent game. Bases clearing double to get it to 14-2. He drove in eight runs, had a two-run double in the first inning, a two-run double in the second inning. And wow, see what Austin Baskin is up to today, but he's already had a pretty solid start. Dylan Carmouche gave up seven runs in an inning and two-thirds. Memphis's starter got granted the win. This was a curious scoring decision. He only pitched two innings to start. Glenn Green went to 5-0, and and then Luke Ellis got the save pitching the final five innings. I think if Ellis hadn't have finished, he probably would have got the win, but that's how they finagled the scoring, especially in a run rule situation, which you can do. Remember, the softball tournament begins today, the NCAA tournament, all day long. We'll talk about that during our broadcast. We'll peep in on the two conference teams, Wichita State and UCF. Wichita State is in Stillwater, Oklahoma. UCF is in Tallahassee. And the golf teams that were in the NCAA tournament both did not advance. That's the men's golf teams from Houston and Cincinnati. Finally, the end of the road for James Madison in women's lacrosse, losing to Syracuse in the national quarterfinals on Thursday. That'll wrap up Around the American. I'm Derek Sharp.